0: Resorts, homes, and a newly built hospital have been washed away.
1: Communication is down
2: all over the country. Everybody was just rushing up in the process. Highest point. I'm just
0: holding on to dear life here. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared.
1: Pacific prepared. The
3: warnings were going up. The extent to which people took heed of the warnings is another question. Very much a wake up call.
2: People were prepared, and that's why we've got less lives lost than we could have had.
4: People need to know what to do, and it's not difficult. We
1: provide the right information to people, and they can
3: act accordingly.
1: Pacific kissing
4: was.
0: Pacific, Pacific. Pacific, you follow must prepare. Pacific Prepared.
3: Pacific Prepared. Hello and welcome to Pacific Prepared, where the Pacific comes together to share information that can save lives, save loved ones, and save livelihoods. I'm Aaron Carney, coming up in this episode. Micronesia warned of what is still to come in 2021. One of the Pacific's most precious sites in a battle against the elements for its future, and how better communications infrastructure is creating new disaster preparation possibilities. Disasters may be inevitable, but the loss of your life, your family, your home, your land, or your village are not. So,
5: let's prepare.
2: It was a terrifying night. It was shaking and getting
1: pounded by debris. We had to make sure they have a safe shelter and drinking water.
5: Helping you
0: stay safe, Pacific Prepared.
3: You heard in an earlier episode of Pacific Prepared that Typhoon Surigae caught some residents in Palau by surprise with its trajectory and intensity. It's unlikely to be the last extreme weather event of 2021, and in order to make sure everyone is informed and ready, the first ever Western North Pacific Regional Climate Conference has been convened. While its specific purpose is to make public the outlook for typhoon and storm activity between now and Christmas, it also covered other important issues, including how information, the true and the false, spreads in Micronesia. Pacific prepared's Micronesia correspondent Bernadette Carrion spoke with conference speaker Landon Eidlett from the Weather Forecast Office in Guam and asked why the regional climate conference has been created.
4: Since the advent of this global pandemic with COVID, um, everyone's forced to limit travel and teleconference. Normally I would travel to the islands in the region to hold a series of training sessions, conferences, meetings and outreach events. But because of COVID, that's been impossible. So I was driven to hold a regional teleconference in a sense to bring everyone together in the region and talk weather and climate modeling and outlooks. So what is the typhoon outlook for Micronesia? The outlook for the remainder of 2021 is a little bit complicated because we, unlike the Atlantic Ocean Basin, the Central Pacific and the Eastern Pacific, where their outlooks are basin wide, um, we have to break ours up into region because the typhoon activity or the tropical cyclone activity can vary significantly from east to west. So for example, the, the Marshall Islands will see significantly less activity than what Western Micronesia will because most uh, tropical cyclones, they tend to develop in central and Western Micronesia the move onward toward the Philippines and the Southeastern Asia continent. And as far as our outlook in 2021, we are looking at a busier year than what was seen in 2020, and that's tied closely to the climate pattern. Last year, in 2020, we were in a strong La Nina pattern, and when we have a La Nina pattern, that shifts all the tropical cyclone activity farther west towards Western Micronesia, the Philippines, and Southeast Asia, whereas in an El Nino pattern, which is where we were in 2015 And also in 1997, all these tropical cyclones, they tend to develop farther east. So that's in the the area of the Marshall Islands, the eastern Micronesia. And then they have more likely chances of a well-formed typhoon hitting into the Mariana Islands and central and western Micronesia. So this year, we are looking at a busier pattern than what we saw last year, but we're looking at near-normal conditions. So, for example, for Palau and Yap State, we're looking at... Uh, roughly three to five tropical cyclones through the end of the year with two to three of those being tropical storm force intensity and one or two could be major typhoons keep in mind this is just an outlook this is not a land falling forecast and so the outlook gives a general idea to trends what we could see in the coming months but not an actual forecast of land falling typhoons or tropical storms for the the federated states of Micronesia gets a little bit more complicated because the tropical cyclone activity can vary uh, from north to south and east to west. So we're looking at more action in western Micronesia than we are at central Micronesia, which is Kosrae, Pompeii, and Chuk states. So south of 6 north, there will be lesser activity with around one to three tropical cyclones. And keep in mind, that's inclusive of tropical storms and typhoons. But north of 6 north, there is a better chance of more activity with two to three tropical storms and one to two typhoons for Chuuk State north of 6 and one to two tropical storms and up to one or two typhoons for Pompeii north of 6 north. The Marshall Islands, the activity is a little bit less with uh, one to three tropical cyclones.
6: We keep hearing that communication is critical during extreme weather. What are we doing well when it comes to disaster communication
4: that's exactly a communication is critical because if we have a community that's warned and prepared, that comes directly from communication from officials and authorities in the weather industry as well as the decision makers such as the emergency managers, disaster coordinators, and elected officials. The response in activities is absolutely paramount to a warned and prepared population and so we have to work together to make sure we have our motions in order and that we know how to act based on different weather forecasts and threats and different situations so here on guam the national weather service office we work uh, closely with the guam homeland security office and as well as fema officials to make sure we have procedures in place based on different threats and natural disasters that we may face with advanced warning or no warning at all we have to have these actions work like a well-oiled machine and so that's even more so across micronesia where we're uh, separated by distance and also cultural differences and language differences that's even more important that we in guam work closely with the weather service offices across micronesia as well as elected leaders so as long as we can communicate together and communicate where people get their information Is that web pages or is it social media? And recent studies in social science show that many people now get their information on social media. So that's also where we need to be communicating so that we can ensure more people get that possibly life-saving information.
6: What if there's no power? What if the phone lines are down? How do you communicate?
4: In the social media realm, there's a lot of people that communicate weather and threats, and it may not be factual information. People need to know where they're getting their information from. Is it unofficial sources or is it from official sources like government officials and weather agencies? The weather agencies, they must be communicating in the social media realm to counteract any misinformation or bad information. But also, as you mentioned, when the power is down, that's too late for official information to be disseminated because the power out is out, communications are down, Internet services are compromised, communications cannot happen. So we have to make sure people are prepared and taken shelter and cover before those power outages begin so that they are ready for the worst.
6: What's the difference between an official communication and a community communication? Do they send different messages?
4: Ideally, we would like for the official communications and the community communications to be the same message, but that's rarely the case. Because the community communications, that comes typically from word-of-mouth people telling each other what they heard somebody else say. And sometimes information gets distorted or mixed up or you miss finer details. People start having incorrect information spreading across the community. If you get your official information from official sources, that's much better because People like the weather officials, the government weather agency, the disaster coordinators, the emergency managers, they're trained and they exercise on sharing information and how to communicate effectively the best information. We want to make sure that the weather officials and the emergency managers are all sharing the same message to the community so there's no confusion or no incorrect information going out there. From the weather forecast office, our information goes to the weather service offices across Micronesia, and then they communicate to the disaster coordinators, uh, both the state and the national emergency management folks across Micronesia. So we should all have the concise, correct information. But if you get it from word of mouth, that information can get distorted and you miss the finer and correct details. Pacific prepared
3: Micronesia correspondent, Bernadette Carrion, speaking with conference speaker, Landon Eidlett, from the Weather Forecast Office in Guam, immediately after the first ever Western North Pacific Regional Climate Conference.
0: Ten minutes after the earthquake, we had a loud bang and then just saw the sea rising up. Know what to do. Know what to do.
3: Know what to do. Pacific Prepared. Less than a decade ago, Levuka Anchorage became Fiji's first UNESCO World Heritage Site. The former national capital was recognized for, quote, its low line of buildings set among coconut and mango trees along the beachfront, a rare and outstanding example of a late 19th century Pacific port settlement. World heritage status should mean that Lavuca is preserved as a snapshot frozen in time, an example of a crucial part of Pacific development and a permanent reminder of our unique history. Unfortunately, extreme weather is taking a toll, as FBC's Josiah Nanuka discovered when he traveled to Ovalau Island. A portion of the site where the deed of
7: session was signed in Levuka, Ovalau Fiji is slowly eroding, a direct consequence of the rising sea levels and recurring storm surges. More attention is needed to protect the authenticity. Of the World Heritage Site from the impact of climate change, Levoka Bagabiti Village Alda, Ratuchope, Chope rua says all this put down to the ever-growing problem of climate
2: change. Mm. Mm. The The site site is critical as it is
7: listed under the UNESCO World Heritage Site. With the impact of climate change, I think more funding is
1: required to
7: execute
2: activities that will sustain the authentic outlook
1: of various historical sites Mm. here
2: in Lebuka.
7: Levuka Town Council Chief Executive Officer Chosese Rakuita says the visible scars at the site is a testament that climate change and rising waters are surely making an impact that small nations like Fiji are falling prey to.
2: As you've gone out uh, to access roads into informal settlement, this is beautification, eh? funding. So we really depend on uh, government and under the NGOs, Mm -hmm. for that matter, in terms of looking after this uh, infrastructure and uh, upgrading of uh, maintenance in town. eh?
7: In a bid to generate sufficient funding, the council is collaborating with relevant authorities to protect various sites such as the 199 steps for tourist attraction when borders are open. The Fijian Broadcasting Corporation managed to capture a success story from the island of Ovalau. It is never too late to return to the village and make use of the land to turn their dream into a reality. This is the key to success for Tevita Kotoilakemba, a prominent farmer at Virro village in Ovalau, who has been earning thousands from his Yangona or Grog and Dalo or Taro harvest will bring you closer to Viro Village, a 30-minute drive from the old capital of Fiji, Levuka, to meet Tevita Kotoyalakamba, who left his job in the city to become a full-time
2: farmer.
7: I graduated with my diploma in
2: uh, automotive and engineering in 2006. I was selected to act in the position of uh, technician and uh, tutorial assistant at FIT. A year later, I left and joined LTA for three years before moving back to Levuka
7: and worked for PEFCO for at least two years. Since starting his farm in 2014, Kotuila Kemba has planted hundreds of Yangona plants on the hills of Viro and couldn't dream of the earnings he is making. He's also invested in Yasi, or commonly known as Sandalwood. While working at uh, PEFCO, I saw how village youth invest
2: in uh, cover farming eh? and they can earn over $1,000 a week. I was motivated by a youth member to partake in this activity. Hence, I resigned from work and I took up commercial uh, agriculture, which is way better uh, than working
7: in offices and uh, factories. From office work to swinging the knife on the farm, Kamba is enjoying his time and has no regrets about living the hustle and bustle of city life.
2: I start off the day at 6 a.m. with breakfast and I make it my business daily to reach the farm before 8. I strictly monitor my daily schedule. I ensure no time is left wasted. I finish my work at around 4 p.m. To ensure I spend the rest of the afternoon with the people at home and the village.
7: The 43-year-old says being a farmer requires commitment and dedication. But for jobless youth in urban centers, returning to the village and tilling the land is the best solution. If uh, anyone wants to
2: thrive in this business, uh, he or she must be a disciplined person and remain committed. Eh? Especially during these uh, trying times, Solosolevaki okay, 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 and uh, commercial
7: agriculture is critical okay. among youth to ensure they earn
2: money.
7: Kotoila Kamba collects thousands of dollars a month from Ngona sales alone, topped up by Ndalo sales. The money is enough to meet his family's needs, and put a little aside for a rainy day.
3: Josiah Nanuka from FBC Fiji with one of the big challenges on Ovalau Island, but also a story of hope. Head to the Pacific Prepared page on Radio Australia's website to hear other stories from Joe on Ovalau and, of course, all our episodes and feature stories.
6: Helping you stay safe.
1: Specific Prepared When disaster strikes, you may have to evacuate quickly and be away from your home for some time. These are commonly known as Go Bags. Your Go Bag should be brightly colored and easy to carry, something like a large sports bag or backpack. Some go bags have a lot of items and can be quite expensive. Some cost almost nothing. Each episode we will bring another item for your go bag and you can decide if it is right for you and how you can make it work. Do you have some basic tools? A bush knife or small axe? A lighter or matches and a waterproof bag? A can opener? Knife? Fork or spoon? Do you have a multi-tool or Swiss army knife? These could be invaluable during a disaster and long stint away from your home. Listen in next time for another item that will help make you ready to go. This information has been drawn from various sources, including the Red Cross, the United Nations, and government agencies. Be informed. Be prepared. Pacific Prepared.
3: Kevin Morai from NBC Papua New Guinea helping you create your go bag. Everyone's will look different, but think about what you can put in yours and start your go bag now.
0: Be informed. Be ready. Pacific Prepared.
3: We've been telling you on Pacific Prepared about a pioneering trial program to bring satellite internet to remote communities in Papua New Guinea in an effort to combat the effects of COVID-19. In Western Province, a collaboration between companies, donors and local officials has led to the installation of satellite internet connections in 30 remote communities. The support is proving valuable not only in the sharing of health information, but in preventing health misinformation and giving vital support and encouragement to health officials Facing mass vaccine mythology and hesitancy. And it's unlocked new possibilities for disaster preparation as well. NBC Papua New Guinea reporter and Pacific Prepared correspondent Waliagai Olawale and I connected with the PNG's sustainable development program's Esther Sabona and CEO of satellite internet company Pacific, Christian Patero, about what the trial program could mean, not only for Western Province communities right across the Pacific. In part two of our discussion, Wally A Guy asked Christian what advice he has for Pacific communities struggling with substandard communications infrastructure.
5: It doesn't happen overnight. A projects like ours, like Pacific, uh, I started the project in 2013 and we launched our satellites in 2019. So that was was a six years preparation Uh, For the the connectivity. So those are very long haul infrastructure projects. And those communities need to put their hands up, uh, need to go to talk to, I don't know, their city council, their representative at the government to push for that infrastructure to happen. A satellite needs to be put in space. It needs to be built by a a manufacturer. Uh, The whole infrastructure needs to be put into place. So fortunately, our satellite covers most of the Pacific today. Some countries did not put their hands up, and therefore we, we could not take the risk of covering them without having a bit of engagement with them. Esther, can you
3: imagine how this communication might be effectively used if there was a major flood event in your part of the world,
6: yes, it, it. I mean, I can imagine that being a way of communicating because people have that access now, and then we could, like, on the spot, know if there's a there's a flooding, if there's lack of foods, or you know, if they need um, health assistance. That would be the way to open doors for um, more communication because I understand that in the past when there was no Um, connectivity it was just a one-sided affair like we don't know what's happening we are providing a service but we are isolated in a in a different spot not knowing that like the, the community maybe close to where we are is experiencing this. So with the communication lines now being open, we could have the direct communication either from a community leader, health worker, whoever has access to a phone can easily get support quickly.
0: Anybody in those community who has an Android phone who can connect to the internet, they're able to access that facility?
6: Yes, for the health workers, like we've given them a phone and showed them how to use WhatsApp and stuff. And the communities, they also have access. I think they need to get a voucher to use it, but it's, it's, a lot of them use it anyway, for those who have those phones, the 4G phones.
0: Can everyone expect to be plugged into the world sometime soon?
5: Well, I, would, I wouldn't would say soon. I mean, it depends what you're talking about. Everyone, I definitely believe that it will happen. But there are a lot of uh, structural rigidities that prevent it from happening. You do rely for many of those places on governments or local council decisions. These decisions take time. They need to be included in some sort of budget. So that alone takes time. There's also, of course, the logistics of putting together the the receiver, the antenna uh, that you physically need to go and install. The logistics, of course, in these remote places is is not a walk in the park and and takes time as well. uh, As as Esther and you, Wally, mentioned, there is a lot of, Terrain difficulty, a lot of floods uh, that, that delay these deployments. But but that said, like I said earlier, there, there is hope. There is definitely hope. There's you know the cogs are in motion and things are happening. And it's it's extremely heartening for for me to, to to see that rolling out to see the results of many years of effort to put together the company, launch a satellite in space. I believe, yes, within the decades, there will be a a tremendous change in all those remote places. Uh, They will have access to real broadband uh, Mm -hmm. for more fundamental societal needs. Uh, In other words, education, safety, as well as healthcare, and to address their vulnerability uh, with this technological resilience,
6: can I just also jump in and like now we've trialed it and we see that you know it's actually mm. having a, a positive impact. You know the I think the changes will come slowly. It's not an overnight change like what Christian mentioned. So we've we've seen it, and I think for Western Province it is. Now that we've finished um, the proof of concept with the first study, we'll see, you know, where it takes us following, you know, the, the feedback that we receive from the satellite installations. So it's exciting for us and we can't say, I mean, because it's a trial at the moment, we want to see, give it some time and see how it really works and we can decide where to go from there.
0: Yeah. So Esther, just one final question Given that Western Province has a huge landmass, you've got 30 satellite dishes out there. After the feedback that you receive, do you think there will be consideration that more satellites will be extended to other communities that are basically also facing very similar challenges, especially the coastal, the coastal areas of Western Province, where they're also prone to disasters such as cyclones?
6: Yep, that's that's something we we are looking forward to. You know, I think bringing back to the table and discussing where can we go from now after this proof of concept. So yes, it's something to be discussed.
3: NBC Papua New Guinea reporter and Pacific prepared correspondent Wallya Guy Olawala and I speaking with the PNG Sustainable Development Program's Esther Sabona and CEO of Satellite Internet Company Pacific Christian Patero about what the trial satellite internet program that is underway to help fight COVID in 30 remote communities in Western Province means for us all. Pacific Prepared is supported by the Pacific Media Assistance Scheme with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of PACMAS or the Australian Government. It is produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific, including Radio New Zealand Pacific, NBC Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, Capital FM 107 Vanuatu, FBC Fiji, Samoa National Radio 2AP and TBC Tonga. My name is Aaron Carney. We'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, please stay safe, share what you have learned here, And together, we will help get the Pacific prepared.